Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, everyone. It's Gabriella Hoffman here, host of District of Conservation. Welcome to a special Tuesday episode, episode 104. I'm going to brief you guys briefly on matters related to public policy news, agency openings, or initiatives you may have missed due to the crazy news cycle we're in. I'm going to dedicate no more than 10 minutes to all this. Before I begin, I want to thank CFACT for sponsoring the podcast. You can learn more about them at cfact.org. The first two issues I'll discuss pertain to environmentalism, and the last two stories I'm going to discuss pertain to wildlife management. But something that caught my eye last week was an article in Politico magazine entitled The One Incredibly Green Thing Donald Trump Has Done. That point can be debatable. I think a lot of people have seen kind of a more pro-environmentalist streak in the president with his Everglades restoration and Great Lakes initiative funding, among many things he's tackled. But it's very interesting to see this concession from Politico about super funds and how they view uh, his EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, as actually doing good stuff on this. And I think this has flown under the radar for many, many people. I want to read from the article a few interesting segments about why even like environmentalists are praising the president and his EPA for this. Uh, The author says, for this story, I spoke with dozens of activists who agreed. The EPA under Trump has shown what it can look like when an administration gets serious about cleaning up long neglected sites, super funds. Some of these activists are voting Republican for the first time in their lives. Some have seen their backyards and communities finally cleaned up, finally cleaned up because of the Trump administration's EPA. And this is one woman that this Politico writer spoke to. I've been a Democrat all my life, Worley Jenkins said. Trump actually gives us money to clean up these sites that have been here forever, she said. Obama talked a lot of crap, but did very little. And people don't realize that. They want to praise him, but he didn't do anything. He didn't do shit, as she said. And the article continues like this. The Trump administration's efforts to prioritize the Superfund site in her hometown have made her a believer. She's getting into local politics and campaign county magistrate slot this summer. It was a nonpartisan position, but Worley Jenkins isn't hiding her affiliation. I'm running as a Republican, she said at the time. What's behind the Trump administration's commitment to Superfund sites? There's more than a little PR savvy. Activists across the country report phone calls and home visits from high-level administration officials, the kind of appointees that generally hadn't handed their cell phone numbers to local residents. Politics is undoubtedly a part of it, too. Cleaning up these sites brings in development dollars and rubs up local economies, all of which could translate to a boost for Trump in 2020. Ahead of November, Andrew Wheeler, the current EPA administrator, just wrapped up a multi-state tour of successful Superfund cleanups conspicuously located in the battleground states, hitting sites in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. So that's very interesting. I think you guys should take a look into it. It may change your perception of what the EPA under this administration is doing. And 
I found that to be very riveting and compelling to see a publication like that actually write about this. So this is something to look to. If you care about super funds and environmental cleanups, reading this may change your view on how the EPA is actually conducting themselves in this manner. Another thing related to the EPA I wanted to talk about is there a new department or office, I should say, to address cleaning up abandoned mines. This is also a big problem. You've seen this talked about at length. Uh, It's the new EPA Office of Mountains, Deserts, and Plains. Here is more about the news release for this new Office of Mountains, Deserts, and Plains from EPA Administrator Wheeler. He says, quote, The West is a special place with special environmental challenges deserving of its own office within EPA, Wheeler said. Under President Trump's leadership, this new office will provide effective solutions and achieve important milestones in the cleanup of hard rock mining Superfund sites in the American West, as well as foster greater partnerships with states, tribes, and local communities. Done are the days of a one-size-fits-all approach to remediation. The Office of Mountains, Deserts, and Plains will ensure we are making progress cleaning up mines across sites in the West, promote good Samaritan projects, identify innovative cleanup technologies, and oversee the cleanup of an Abandoned uranium mines in the Navajo Nation, said EPA Associate Deputy Director Doug Benevento. This unique Western work needs an integrated Western presence, and Administrator Wheeler should be commended for recognizing this and creating this new geographic program in Colorado. Addressing these issues requires an office with a singular focus and senior leadership who don't see the issues in the abstract, but are actually located in the West and accessible to the communities impacted by them. I think this also largely stems from the Trump administration's efforts in conservation issues to make things more local, to shuffle agencies or move agencies out west to better attune to the needs of Western interests. And some people see that as a bad thing. I think most conservationists actually see that as a good thing and more attentiveness to Western issues to be right at the heart of them rather than go back and forth between Washington, D.C., which was largely removed from these areas, whether it's about cleaning up mines, super funds, or managing and incentivizing people to care about public lands with the Bureau of Land Management moving out West. So this is very interesting on the environmental front. I have all the information in the link in bio show notes. So check it out there. Now we move to the wildlife management issues you guys have largely missed. From the Associated Press dated August 31st, 2020. The Trump administration plans to lift endangered species protection for gray wolves across most of the nation by the end of the year, the director of U.S. Fish and Wildlife said. We're working hard to have this done by the end of the year, and I'd say it's very imminent, Aurelia Skipwith, who is the Fish and Wildlife Service director, said to the Associated Press in a phone interview. The administration is also pushing ahead with a rollback of protections for migratory birds, despite a recent setback in federal court, she said. Uh, some context behind gray wolf delisting, by the way, across both Obama and Trump administrations, biologists have concluded that the gray wolf Uh, meets the criteria to have full delisting and the Trump administration appears to be acting out on those findings. 
And uh, here's more on that from the AP. The Fish and Wildlife Service last year proposed dropping the wolf from the endangered list in the lower 48 states, exempting a small population of Mexican wolves in the southwest. It was the latest of numerous attempts to return management authority to the states, moves that court have repeatedly rejected after opponents filed lawsuit. And, yeah, I think it's important to... Uh, the crux of it is uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service director has said and echoed a lot of her predecessors that the gray wolf has biologically recovered and that removal from the list would demonstrate the effectiveness of the Endangered Species Act, as she said in the Associated Press. And I've long argued this myself, that delisting does not lead to decimation. There's already an active wolf management system in place in states like Montana. And I think in other states that are affected by wolves they can implement uh, similar management practices as well you have also in colorado the ballot initiative that is going to be deliberated and also voted on where a lot of sportsmen and conservationists are very concerned that leaving wildlife biologist decisions to voters could have huge implications but i actually read a interesting op-ed in favor of the wolf initiative in colorado that said that if you vote for this, the reintroduction of wolves, you're going to have to be prepared for wolf hunts, which is an interesting conclusion because most people think if you reintroduce wolves, it's going to limit the possibility to hunt or cull wolf populations. So I found that to be very thought provoking, uh, considering that those who usually advocate for forced introduction of wolves into states don't support hunts, but it's interesting. They drew that conclusion I don't know if that's going to be the impact, but I may bring on my friend Mia Anstein to talk more about that. She's a good authority on Colorado issues relating to the wolf. And tomorrow or later today, I'm going to be sitting on a call to learn more about the issue at hand as well. And the final thing I wanted to talk about is the recent hearing in the Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works on quote, the successful state stewardship, a legislative hearing to examine Senate Bill 614, the Grizzly Bear State Management Act. And this stems from uh, the court's refusal to treat the grizzly bear in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem as a fully recovered, biologically recovered species, which time and time again, biologists have concluded, stemming, like I said, across partisan lines, both Obama and Trump's Fish and Wildlife Service has determined that the bear in question is biologically recovered and therefore should be eligible for delisting from the Endangered Species Act because the population has grown steadily in the region. There are over 700 bears and human bear conflicts continue to persist. And many people take issue with the managed hunt that was proposed, which a federal court judge in Montana ruled to not happen. And also his ruling was affirmed recently in the ninth circuit court of appeals that there's not evidence pointing to the fact that the hunt will, or that a uh, delisting will guarantee their longevity in, in mere paraphrasing. But, uh, this bill I think would seek to remedy the issue with the ESA being used in a pernicious way by the courts when in fact it's the Senate and Congress that can actually, that are tasked with actually reforming the ESA. So Senate bill 614 would direct the secretary of interior to reissue a final rule relating to removing the greater Yellowstone ecosystem population of grizzly bears from the federal list of endangered and threatened wildlife. Also the crux of this hearing was to have different stakeholders. There was a panel 
uh, featuring certain three individuals. You had Patrick Crank, the vice president of Wyoming Game and Fish Commission, uh, attorney at Crank Legal Group PC. You also had Truck Rody, vice president and general manager of FH Holtzland and Lumber Company. And you also had distinguished professor emeritus John D. Leshy of the Cal- University of California Hastings College of the Law. And they talked about how a bill like this could actually fall in the confines of ESA determinations and ESA confines to return management of the fully recovered, biologically recovered greater Yellowstone ecosystem bear to states like Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. It's long overdue. I've made the case. I've spoken to enough bear experts. I've listened to testimony from these people who've testified before Congress in different hearings about this. And I think people have to, understand that locals and those in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho want to live in harmony with the bear, with the GYE bear. However, if there's no management system in place, things are going to run amok. Cattle is going to be decimated. People are going to be attacked. And actually, even worse off, the bears are going to be imperiled. Uh, Brown bears, fellow grizzly bears, when you have no active management system in place, aggressive bears thrive and wreak havoc onto many different people and aspects and their fellow bears as well. So that's what you can take away from this bill. I hope it starts to gain traction. I don't see the current Democrat led house of representatives anywhere touching this. Maybe if the house of representatives returns back to Republican hands, you'll see this, but this is a maneuver that elected officials are using to supersede the courts who have abused and ruled on judicial review grounds for this when it should be a, scientific decision independent of the courts. I hope you found those updates to be interesting on the environmental and conservation front. What do you think? Do you think those are good policy items, improvements, reforms that are needed? Are they step backs? Are they regressive? Let me know. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement. Follow us on several podcasting platforms we're on apple spotify google play google podcasts i should say and many many others and if you like what you're hearing leave us some reviews share the good word with your friends and let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast tomorrow i'm going to be briefly discussing the problems with preservationist fire management policies and forestry management policies or lack thereof happening out west and what the implications can be if these problems persist especially as there's a lot more tinder there's a lot more fuel available that triggers a lot of these fires their intensity not so much that more fires are happening than in years prior but the intensity with which these fires happen is a lot more apparent so you're going to hear more from that I also will tease some upcoming guests on tomorrow's episode. So you got to listen for that episode towards the end to see who some of my upcoming guests on the podcast are. Some really interesting people, people who largely disagree with me on some political matters, but we have found some commonality on kind of the future of environmentalism and and forestry practices and and energy. And then um, some good stewards of wildlife too, to come on and talk about what's trending. All right. Thank you for listening. Leave your reviews, share the good word with friends, and I hope you guys stay tuned for more episodes. Thanks for listening.